At Highland, we're all about celebrating little wins and little ways to innovate digital processes. There's no customer pain point too small for us to help with. Maybe that's why more than half of the Fortune 100 looks to Highland to connect their content and data, improve processes, and turn little efficiencies into big wins for their customers and clients. Highland, intelligent content solutions for innovators everywhere at highland.com. Hey, it's your buddy AJ from the Wi Files. And at- Hecklefish. Right. And Hecklefish, we just wanted to tell you that if you want to start a podcast, Spotify makes it easy. It'd have to be easy for humans to understand it. Will you stop that? I'm just saying. Spotify for podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts from your computer. I don't have a computer. Do you have a phone? Of course I have a phone. I'm not a savage. Well, with Spotify, you can record podcasts from your phone, too. Spotify makes it easy to distribute your podcast to every platform, and you can even earn money. I do need money. What do you need money for? You're kidding? I'm getting killed on guppy support payments. These three ex-wives are expensive. But you don't want to support your kids? What are you, my wife's lawyer now? Never mind. And I don't know if you noticed, but all Wi-Fi's episodes are video, too. And there's a ton of other features, but... But we you... can't be here all day. Will you settle down? I need you to hurry up with this stupid commercial. I got a packed calendar today. I'm sorry about him. <sniffs> anyway, check out Spotify for Podcasters. It's free, no catch, and you could start today. Are we done? We're done, but you need to check your attitude. Excuse me, but I don't have all day to sit here and talk about Spotify. Look, this would go a lot faster if, if you would just let me get through it without... Paul Benowitz lived next to a large Air Force base. When he saw colored lights in the sky, he assumed they were experimental aircraft. Then he started picking up strange radio signals that seemed to be an alien language. He took his findings to the Air Force. Publicly, they denied the UFO alien story. But privately, they confirmed Paul's findings. The Air Force even funded his UFO research. He spent several years gathering evidence and reporting it to the authorities. Then. He ended up in a mental institution. Let's find out why. In 1969, while pursuing his PhD in physics, Paul Benowitz started a successful electronics company in New Mexico called Thunder Scientific. Yo, that's a pretty badass name for a company. It is. Thunder. 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 I know who it is. Paul Benowitz's primary clients were the Air Force and NASA. He did so much business with the Air Force that he actually bought a home and established a lab right next to Kirtland Air Force Base in Albuquerque. Now, Kirtland is a big facility. It's one of the largest Air Force installations in the country. It has science labs, weapons testing areas, observatories, and huge storage facilities for nuclear weapons. From the second floor deck of his house, Paul frequently saw strange colored lights in the sky around the Air Force Base. Lights that were moving too fast to be aircraft. Now, Paul documented and filmed everything he saw. Then Paul Benowitz had an idea. He was an engineer, a physicist, and an expert in electronics. So he set up his radio equipment and detected transmissions on a frequency in the gigahertz range, much higher than the military used at that time. As a pilot and military contractor, Paul Benowitz knew what Air Force signals sounded like, but this was something very different. He analyzed these signals and realized they were data bursts, and in the data were messages. But the Air Force has said time and time again, and this is a quote from Richard Horner, Assistant Secretary of the Air Force for Research and Development. 
all but a small percentage of these reports of unidentified flying objects have been definitely attributed to natural phenomena that are neither mysterious nor dire, end quote. What about that? I'll answer that, but I'd like to make several points doing it. In 1947, the Air Technical Intelligence Center at Dayton, the top Air Force intelligence men and scientists under contract, sent a secret document to the commanding general of the Air Force saying that whatever these things were, they were real. In 1948, ATIC, the same group, mm -hmm. sent a top secret estimate to the commanding general, Hoyt Vandenberg, said these were interplanetary spaceships. Mm -hmm. In 1952, there was an intelligence analysis of the maneuvers of these things, as seen by radar, triangulation, radar photo uh, photographs, and in 53, the Central Intelligence Agency and the Air Force had a special panel of scientists meet at the Pentagon to tell them what to do. And after they got through, this group said, you don't have proof that these things exist, not scientific proof, but you have a very strong circumstantial case. We suggest you quadruple the investigation, set up special observation posts, and in the meantime, release everything you've got to the American people. And they have been spending a lot of money investigating flying saucers. If they don't exist, why the money? Why did the intelligence teams rush out every time there's a sighting? The data bursts Paul Benowitz received had noticeable patterns. Now, Paul couldn't make sense of the data manually, but he did have access to an early home computer. And using an operating system and software he wrote himself, he fed the alien broadcast to the computer. At first, the messages were nonsense. So Paul deployed a very old but effective crypto analyst trick, context. He told his program to assume that the messages would have words like ship, base, air, water, and time. That worked. Yeah, but how do you learn to speak alien so you can translate it into English? Good question. You don't. You use the computer to put everything in context. For example, let's say we knew the transmission had something to do with making coffee. You tell the computer the context. You have it look for patterns that coincide with beans, water, sugar, milk, and so on. And once you have the main patterns, you can expand to phrases used less frequently, like grind, brew, and drink. Eventually, you have a pretty good syntax. You don't know what the exact words are, but you do know what they mean. Paul's first translations were almost meaningless, but he kept at it and eventually had a general idea of what the messages were saying. His translation wasn't perfect, but it was good enough to give him an idea of what the aliens wanted and why they were here. Then he did something I'd consider ill-advised. Using the language he decoded, he sent his own message on that same frequency. And shortly after that, he received a reply. This was the first message Paul decoded. Round, round. Women of Earth are needed. Flexible the next discharges. Our ship, our women, do not command the North among us. You have many friends. Water very short. Resist all attempts set alteration. Listen, orange, make peace. Sounds peaceful enough, though women of Earth are needed is kind of ominous. Here's the next message. Victory. Our bases obtain supplies from the Starship Metal. Time is yanked. Time is yanked. Message hit star. Using rejuvenation methods got us in trouble. Six Sky we realized tell you all might help you. All your base up belong to us. It does kind of sound like that. And there are lots of these messages. This one is interesting. Take vast portion universe against our aggression. The number of our crashed saucers is eight. Nerve you, we realize, tell the truth. Jump. Jump opposite. Alien forces me no help to you. Metal, we come invisible. Keeping change, we will not join sides with anyone. 
But our race is dying on the home planet. Paul Benowitz now had the first two-way communication with an alien civilization. He suspected that they were not here for good reasons, so he used this communication to try and learn their intentions and hopefully find vulnerabilities. Through many messages back and forth, Paul did learn the aliens' intentions. They weren't good. Paul Benowitz learned that the aliens' homeworld was dying and there were multiple alien races on Earth. Many of them look like the typical gray alien with large eyes, but there's also a race of homo sapien aliens that look just like us, but better looking. Valiant four! Exactly. Link below. Now at this point, Paul Benowitz was convinced an invasion was imminent and people had to be warned. He prepared a dossier of his theory and findings and went to the Air Force. Paul was a veteran and trusted military contractor, so he was granted a meeting. Benowitz was adamant that Americans be warned right away so they could prepare and defend themselves. They thought he was a nutcase, didn't they? Nope. The government took him very seriously. The base commander brought in the Air Force Office of Special Investigation, or OSI, to review Paul's work, and they were impressed. Agent Richard Doty was assigned to Paul's case. Doty visited Paul's house and reviewed all the film, radio equipment, and everything that Paul was using to document and communicate with the aliens. The Air Force agreed to fund Paul's research as long as he delivered his findings directly to them, and he agreed. Paul Benowitz went to work. With the help of the Air Force, and specifically Agent Richard Doty, Paul was convinced he could gather enough intel to defeat the aliens and save the human race. You believe, uh, in part, that the movies uh, E.T., uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, were not entirely just uh, the creative products of some Hollywood director, that maybe there's more to that. Why don't you explain? They were carefully um, guided by representatives from MJ-12, who is this organization that is in charge of the cover-up, in order to get us ready for the release of the information that there are, are indeed aliens. And uh, in both those movies, they used small little creatures and uh, in order to get us ready for this uh, release of information. So to prepare us that the idea of benevolent aliens from outer space yeah, are uh, going to help us out. Unfortunately, uh, they're, not, they're not so benevolent. So they made a, probably one of the most disastrous mistakes when uh, E.T. was uh, put out. At that time was before we uh, discovered what I call the double cross uh, or the grand deception. And uh, they were trying to get us used to the benevolent little creatures. And, uh, but that isn't the case. In the late 1970s and early 80s, Bill Moore was a rising star in the UFO community. In 1980, he released a book called The Roswell Incident. Until Moore came along, nobody really knew much about Roswell or cared about it. But Moore's book would bring Roswell back into the public eye. And almost all the details we know about the Roswell UFO crash come from his book. When Bill Moore asked Paul Benowitz if they could meet, of course Paul said yes. The two men became friends and met every few months for the next year. And during that year, Paul complained that he sent a tremendous amount of data to the Air Force every week and nothing was coming of it. And then in 1981, Bill Moore gave Paul Benowitz a secret government file called Project Aquarius, dated a year earlier. When Paul read the document, he couldn't believe it. The 7602 Air Force Intelligence Group was analyzing all of Paul's data, but never told him. This was proof that the Air Force was taking him seriously. But why lie to him about it? Then Bill Moore said very carefully and very quietly, Paul, you'd better be very careful with what you do with this. Use it for your own research, but otherwise just sit on it. 
Now, the last paragraph of the Aquarius document is this. The official U.S. government policy and results of Project Aquarius is still classified top secret, with no dissemination outside official intelligence channels and with restricted access to MG-12. Kason Benowitz is being monitored by NASA-INS, who request all future evidence be forwarded to them through AFOSI-IVOE because of a chance of public exposure. Oh, did that thing just mention MJ-12? Yep. Bill Moore and Paul Benowitz had no idea what this was. This was the first time Majestic 12 appeared in a document. And if you want a full episode on Majestic 12, email me or let me know in the comments. But in short, Majestic 12 is a group of 12 people who control the flow of information, all the information about UFOs. Every sighting, investigation, and even the slightest mention of a UFO, Majestic 12 is notified, and only Majestic 12 could decide how to proceed. Now, Paul, being a pilot, started doing flyovers of where he thought the underground base was, Archuleta Mesa near Dulce, New Mexico. He took pictures of domes, vents going underground, and saw huge towers, and he put all the photos in his reports. And this would continue for several years, but then something scary happened. In monitoring the alien transmissions, it appeared that there was a relationship or agreement between the aliens and the United States government, but that relationship broke down. On Paul's next flight, he saw scorched patches of ground, flattened trees, and even downed aircraft. It was as if a battle had taken place over Dulce. Now, if America was to win a war with the aliens, it would need a new weapon and a strategy. Fortunately, Paul Benowitz had both. The United States Army presents The Big Picture. An official report produced for the armed forces and the American people. Fantasy? Not at all. What you see on the screen at this moment, and will see in greater detail a bit later in this film, is a glimpse of the United States Army in the years that lie just ahead of us. This is a report on the Army's effort to prepare for the challenges of that future. It is a report on the Army's effort to achieve a sharper sword and stronger shield with which it can do its assigned part in preserving the peace, or if necessary, defending the nation and the free world against whatever enemy might rise against it. Using the huge amounts of information he intercepted from the alien transmissions, Paul Benowitz created a document called Project Beta. Project Beta included the alien takeover plan, and a strategy to defeat them, and a weapon we can use against them. He even built a working prototype of this energy weapon. Project Beta said that the aliens have abducted, conservatively, 300,000 Americans, and they've all been implanted with devices and returned to the general population. And these implants turned every human into a walking camera and microphone. And the implants could be used to create false memories seize control of the mind, or even switch the brain off altogether. And experiments were being done in the base under Dulce. Horrific genetic experiments like splicing alien DNA with humans. And Paul Benowitz sent Project Beta to his senators and other elected officials, even to the President of the United States. The only reply he got was a standard form letter that said Project Blue Book has been closed and the Air Force no longer investigates UFOs. Paul knew this was a lie. He had the Project Aquarius document that proved it. The only thing that made sense was that the government was compromised. It could be that senior military officials, politicians, 
and even the president himself could have been implanted. And over the next couple of years, Paul Benowitz became more and more frustrated and paranoid. When Bill Moore and Richard Doty paid him a visit to check on his mental state, it wasn't good. Paul kept knives and guns all over the house. He insisted that he was being watched and followed all the time. He lost so much weight that he looked ill, and he was smoking a full pack of cigarettes every hour. He said the aliens were coming into his house at night, injecting him with something that made him drive out into the desert. Then he'd be back home with no recollection of what happened. Both Bill Moore and Richard Doty said they saw needle marks on his arm. By now, Bill Moore, Richard Doty, and all Paul's friends were telling him to stop, to leave it alone. Paul's family begged him to stop. They wanted him to destroy all the equipment and go back to focusing on his business. But Paul wouldn't do it. His research was too important. Paul's mental health continued to decline. He didn't trust anyone around him. He thought his wife had an alien implant. His children had to take over his business. He became so paranoid that one day he barricaded himself in his house and covered every door and window with sandbags. His family had seen enough. They committed Paul to a psychiatric facility. And after multiple hospitalizations, Paul Benowitz died in 2003 at the age of 75. He spent the last 25 years of his life paranoid, obsessed, and in mental agony because he could not get anyone to believe what he knew about the aliens. Even with all the evidence, it literally drove him insane. But what's really sad is none of it was necessary because the entire story about the aliens, the secret base, the transmissions, the genetic experiments, the abductions, the plot to take over the world, all of it was a lie. It was all a made-up story fed to him by Richard Doty and the United States government. Oh, you gotta be freaking kidding me. The Air Force Office of Special Investigation, or OSI, has a couple of purposes. One of those is counterintelligence. A common technique of counterintelligence is disinformation. When Paul Benowitz intercepted signals from Kirtland Air Base, he didn't really think they were aliens, not at first. He was concerned that if he could detect transmissions from the base, then anyone could, including Soviet spies. And after reviewing Paul's equipment and research in detail, the Air Force realized that Paul was right. The signals were coming from the base and were vulnerable. That's a problem. When the Air Force reviewed Paul's photos and film, the objects that seemed to be UFOs were actually secret experimental aircraft. That's another problem. Rather than tell Paul Benowitz the truth, which according to the Air Force would compromise security, Special Agent Richard Doty was given an assignment. Feed Paul Benowitz information to lead him to believe that he had discovered a hostile alien presence. Uh, why not just tell him to back off? Because the Air Force didn't know who Paul's friends were. If Paul was compromised by a Soviet agent, the Soviets would know there were secret projects happening on the base. So the Air Force would go a different way. Now, at first, this was just a simple nod from Doty. All I had to do was say, well, you know what, Pa? Maybe what you did see was UFOs. So nothing very specific. But over time, the lies Doty told Paul became more detailed. And other government agencies got in on the action. At some point, Paul was sure he was being watched from the vacant house across the street. Now, it was easy to say this was Paul's paranoia and not take him seriously. But Paul was right. The National Security Agency was surveilling him from that house. And to make things even worse, the alien transmissions that Paul decoded, they were actually sent from the NSA. The NSA also swapped out Paul's computer to ensure that he would decode the messages the way they wanted him to see them. It was all fake. And Paul Benowitz ate it up and suffered because of it. 
Paul was a victim of the government's counterintelligence plan, but he wasn't the only one. Look, we've established in history and documents through the Freedom of Information Act, the CIA and the military complex as a whole has really aimed to essentially mislead the public when it comes to UFOs, tell them something that necessarily is not the truth. We've seen it time and time again through the decades over and over and over. When author Bill Moore's celebrity within the UFO community was at its peak, he was contacted by someone in government intelligence. We now know that was Richard Doty. Doty offered Bill Moore a deal. Moore would receive government documents on UFOs and learn what the government was hiding. But in exchange, he would disseminate Doty's fake UFO stories and report on people within the UFO community. Doty wanted to know who the UFO enthusiasts were and what they knew. The fear was that if Paul Benowitz could intercept secret military data, then other people could. Now, it's never been confirmed, but it's believed that during this time, the United States was building and testing either stealth or drone technology at Kirtland Air Base. This was information that absolutely could not fall into an enemy's hands. So this is how Paul Benowitz came to know Bill Moore. It was a setup. Moore was given the Aquarius document and instructed to give it to Paul. But here's where the counter-intel campaign starts to get sloppy. Bill Moore had seen the Aquarius document. Of course, he was fascinated by it. And at that time, Moore thought the information and documents he was getting were legitimate. But when Moore was given the Aquarius document to forward to Paul Benowitz, it was different. Details were changed. Doty brushed off Moore's concerns. He said the document was sanitized and redacted for security reasons. Moore didn't believe it. Obviously, the plan was to get Paul to go public with the Aquarius document. Then the government steps in to discredit him. This meant Moore was now specifically being asked to lie to a fellow UFO researcher on behalf of the U.S. government, a man he considered a friend, and help the government destroy his friend's reputation. Moore was conflicted, so he didn't do anything, not for months. Then Doty told him, deliver the document or never hear from me again. So Moore did as he was told and delivered the fraudulent Project Aquarius document. But trying to protect him, he begged Paul to never speak of it. So Special Agent Doty had Paul Benowitz covered on the Kirtland Air Base side, but he still needed to address the issue of underground bases near Dulce that Paul was convinced he saw. So Doty and the OSI put props all around the area. They set up domes and air vents and even what looked like alien craft. They littered the mountain with the stuff. The OSI had helicopters painted black and flew them at locations and times where Paul was sure to see them. And Paul believed it all. When you consider all the time and trouble and expense that went into deceiving Paul Benowitz, you have to ask, who ordered this and why? Was it just to discredit one UFO guy? No, Richard Doty's actual goal was to infiltrate the UFO community and flood that community with as much disinformation as possible. Then the government could observe the results of that campaign, identify possible security risks, and if necessary, neutralize them. But all of this would eventually unravel and the truth would be revealed. The Mutual UFO Network, or MUFON, holds a convention every year. In 1989, Bill Moore was a speaker at that convention. And during his talk, he admitted that the U.S. government had been actively spreading lies about UFOs for years, and he knew this because he was helping them to do it. And it was Richard Doty, then with AFOSI at Kirtland Air Force Base, who soon came into play as the middleman in that process. Shortly thereafter, 
It became apparent to me that my supplying information to the government through Doty on the activities of Paul Benowitz, APRO, and to a lesser extent, several other individuals was to be a part of this equation. I also discovered that whatever it was that Benowitz was involved with, he was the subject of considerable interest on the part of not one, but several government agencies, and that they were actively trying to defuse him by pumping as much mis disinformation through him as he could possibly absorb. He was practically booed off the stage. Frankly, I'm a little ashamed of some people in this audience, regardless of what you believe, what you hear or not. It was really hard for these people to learn that everything they believed regarding UFOs was a lie. And this confession ended Bill Moore's career in UFO research. Bill Moore said that he was one of several high-profile UFO personalities who had made deals with Doty, though he never revealed the names. He also said Doty was feeding disinformation to tabloids like the National Enquirer and to journalists like Linda Moulton Howe. The disinformation campaign developed by the Air Force OSI and executed by Agent Richard Doty was a success. There were now so many wild stories circulating about UFOs that it was impossible for actual earnest research to cut through the noise. Another goal of the campaign was to marginalize believers, make it so mainstream scientists and politicians and reporters would never publicly admit to believing in UFOs. The stories were too crazy. The only people publicly discussing UFOs were what you'd call fringe conspiracy nuts. This is exactly what the government wanted. But here's the thing. The key to a successful disinformation campaign is staying as close to the truth as possible. So of all the crazy UFO information that Richard Doty spread, how much of it is true? Well, according to Richard Doty himself, almost all of it. I'm Richard Doty. Um, I was assigned as a special agent with the Air Force Office of Special Investigations. Kirtland Air Force Base. I was a counterintelligence officer at the base, and one of my jobs uh, was to conduct counterintelligence operations uh, at the base. And uh, during my time there, my first few months there, I was briefed into a special access program involving the U U.S. government's uh, investigation and contacts with extraterrestrial, the visitation of these extraterrestrials to, to, uh, to Earth. I was running project uh, into the project in the summer of 1979, and 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 the, the briefing was it was a, a special access program. I uh, have a special security clearance to have access to it, and it was briefed. I was briefed into it by an Air Force colonel uh, from Washington who came down and briefed myself and a couple other people into this program. They showed us a uh, the movie. They actually showed us a, I believe a 16 millimeter movie on the recovery. Uh, it was, obviously, the movie was classified, highly classified. Their narrator in the movie uh, detailed uh, when the crash occurred, approximately when the crash occurred in, in, in the uh, latter part of June of 1947, and, uh, and, and the recovery, uh, showing uh, military personnel at the recovery site, uh, 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 recovering the bodies at the site, and the uh, craft that was at that site. 
The story of Air Force OSI agent Richard Doty is a complicated one. And because he worked in military intelligence, it's not easy to find information. After the Paul Benowitz affair, he stayed in the Air Force, but left the Office of Special Investigation. He said some of his superiors saw his actions as unauthorized, so he was asked to leave, which he did voluntarily. And there's nothing in his military record to indicate he's not telling the truth. And after he left the service in 1988, his life gets confusing. He became a New Mexico State policeman, eventually retiring from that position. But something changed in him. He became a UFO believer. Doty continues to show up in interviews, in documentaries, he even goes to UFO conventions. In the early 1980s, Richard Doty did more damage to UFO research than any single person ever had. But as recently as a few years ago, he's a guest speaker at UFO conventions. He claims 80% of the information circulating about UFOs is real. He claims the Roswell crash happened. He claims the U.S. government did recover a spacecraft, did recover alien bodies, and even had a live alien at Los Alamos for a few years. That alien, by the way, liked Tibetan music and strawberry ice cream. Uh, hold on. Did you just say aliens like strawberry ice cream? Yup. I'll take sentences I thought I'd never hear for 200, Alex. Doty said when he was briefed into OSI, he was shown a film with clips from the late 40s and early 50s that showed all these things were true. But can we trust him? Now, the craft is, it wasn't, it was more or less an over egg-shaped craft. It wasn't uh, saucer-shaped. But the creatures were uh, approximately four foot. They had, uh, didn't appear to have any ears. The fingers had no thumbs, just four, four fingers. Suction devices on their tips of their fingers. Um, <clears throat> and they found uh, a number of different objects in the craft that they used, uh, that they experimented with and found. Uh, they had a, a piece of, they thought was plexiglass. It was a square piece, a rectangle piece of uh, plexiglass that they had, uh, they kept for years before they figured out it was an en the, the energy device for the, uh, the craft. If you follow Richard Doty's interviews through the years, you'll notice the details aren't consistent. Now, maybe that's just a product of getting older. But what about his job history? He worked for the Air Force, specifically spreading lies about UFOs. Then he became a policeman. He talks about these things easily. But I've never seen him mention that he spent 10 years as a contractor for Hal Putoff. Now, I won't go into detail about Putoff here, but for those who don't know, he's the founder of To The Stars, a private venture that investigates UFOs. Fine. Who else is on the board of To The Stars? Well, there's Christopher Mellon of the Mellon family. And when not enjoying life as a billionaire, Chris worked for the CIA and the Department of Defense. Who else? Steve Justice, former director of advanced systems development at Lockheed Martin, the infamous Skunk Works division. He's led many secret military projects, but good luck finding information on him. Then you have Luis Alessandro, a former intelligence officer who ran the secret government project ATIP, the Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program. ATIP was essentially a continuation of Project Blue Book, a military program to investigate UFOs. The government denied ATIP's existence until the New York Times exposed it. This private company that says they are bringing UFOs mainstream sure has a lot of senior people from the American intelligence apparatus, and they hire people like Richard Doty, foot soldiers of that apparatus. Have all these people had changes of heart? They spent their entire careers executing covert operations against American citizens and spreading lies to people who simply want the truth. 
But that was then, they say. You can trust us now. The New York Times exposed secret government programs related to UFOs. The Navy has released footage of pilots tracking UFOs. But how much more do we really know? The government recently released an enormous amount of documents pertaining to UFOs. Congress had a public hearing about UFOs. How much more do we really know? Not much. Was Richard Doty lying then? Is he lying now? Who knows? Because of a decades-long government-sponsored disinformation campaign, a campaign that I believe is still happening, we don't know what to believe. But that was the point all along. The government has thousands of square miles of land in the middle of nowhere, but it flies secret aircraft right near Paul Benowitz's house in Albuquerque? Paul Benowitz didn't receive any mysterious signals until after Agent Doty inspected and photographed the equipment he was using. Then suddenly the NSA shows up and beams alien messages into Paul's house? These are not coincidences. The Air Force put out irresistible bait, and Paul Benowitz, Bill Moore, and countless others swallowed it. They are victims. We all are. Victims of our own government, our military, our law enforcement, our elected officials. All of them solemnly swear to uphold the Constitution and protect the United States of America from all enemies, both foreign and domestic. But who are they really swearing to protect? Not all of us, because that oath doesn't seem to apply to the individual American citizen. No matter how honest you are, how loyal, how patriotic, or how many years you spent serving your country, if you interfere even slightly with the government's agenda, your own government will dedicate a tremendous amount of resources to destroy your reputation, your finances, your career, and if it can, your sanity, and call it a success. Your government will take away all that you hold dear in the name of the greater good. How many lives have been sacrificed at the holy altar of protecting national security? How many victims? Isn't it time we demanded an answer? Well, don't do it, because otherwise the next victim is you. Thank you so much for hanging out with me today. My name is AJ. That's Hecklefish. This has been The Y Files. If you had fun or learned anything, do me a favor and like, subscribe, comment, and share. I know it's annoying to ask, but that stuff actually really helps. And special thanks to our Patreon members who make this channel possible. I couldn't do it without you. And if you'd like to support The Y Files, consider becoming a Patreon member. It's cheap and you get lots of perks. Or buy something from The Y Files store. Link's below. That's going to do it. Until next time, be safe, be kind, and know that you are appreciated. <laughs>